We believe running is freedom and empowerment. We believe running solves problems and makes people happy. We even believe that if more people run, the world will be a better place. We believe in running because it is our passion. This is the Big Peach Running Company Run ATL Podcast with your host, Mike Cosentino. Hello everyone, my name is Mike Cosentino and this is the Run ATL Podcast presented by Big Peach Running Company. Lucky me for sure and I believe lucky you too as today we are going to spend your workout time together and we'll spend these precious and important moments that you've preserved for yourself, not just getting to know each other better, but today we will also be giving you a really, really rare opportunity to get to know the world of athletic and running shoes much better. And what that means is that our featured conversation brings my friend Rod Foley to the set. He's a veteran of almost 20 years who has directed and overseen the completion of both footwear and apparel products, many that you have certainly seen and likely worn for some of the sporting goods industry's most recognized brands. But now, now he's on his own with a new venture called 5AM Brands where he's helping others curate, invest, and develop sporting goods products that truly matter and quite frankly, have the prospect to cut across the clutter that can too oftentimes exist in this ridiculously cool industry. And the fact, the fact that he's free from any specific corporate ties allows you to listen in on what I quite honestly believe is just a couple of us entrepreneurs discussing the present and future considerations of running footwear. It's raw, it's real, it's unedited. This is how it works. So whether you're a self-proclaimed footwear geek or not, whether you engineer technical products or not, whether you even run regularly or not, you will find this really interesting as running shoes are all around us and manufacturing, of course, is a scorching hot topic these days. The curtain is coming down on this episode. But before we start pulling the strings on those curtains, let's answer the knock at the door. Who's there? Well, look at that. It's our fearless co-host and our executive producer, Dolomite, Dave Martinez. Hello, D2. How about that? for a greeting for you. That was quite the intro. I love the sound effects. Well, and we've been busy. I'm glad that we're both standing. It was quite a weekend for us. Yeah, so, yeah, it was, man, you know, we both had the 50K this past weekend. You were the, the, the feature from a previous episode on Breaking 7, so you've got to let our listeners in now on how it came together. Uh, it did not. I did not break seven. <laughs> the weather conditions were perfect. I should have finished before, uh, you know, under seven hours. I did not. I did not. I, 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 I made a rookie mistake. I did not hydrate well enough the days leading up to the race. So I suffered uh, with some cramping and hydration issues. Uh, so it became more of a managing uh, uh, the race and the expectation. So I did finish slower than I did last year by about five minutes. But I did finish. Although I, I will say I finished... I felt better this year at the finish line than I did last year when I ended up not be, you know being immobile for about 30 minutes on the ground. So and and you keep your streak alive at that race finishing every single time you start for me. You know, this episode we are not doing our traditional podcast payout. You know why? Because the podcast payout winner was me. We have had episodes over the last number of tapings that I've listened to pre-edit I've listened to upon completion, and there was so much good advice that I got relative to my mental game from intrepid sports performance, listening to Sarah Shanahan about nutrition the couple of weeks leading into the race, and then on race day itself, I was a huge podcast payout winner. Last year, I actually won this race because it was mostly a suffer fest. I knew what was coming on the trails. It ended up being over 90 degrees. This year, I was 16 minutes faster, and even though I didn't win, that's fine. There were plenty of others who finished ahead of me this year. Congratulations to all the finishers, but I will tell you, I felt awesome 
I felt better than I have in any of the four years that we've done this. I'm obviously not any younger. And yet at the end of the race, I could have gone further and I was ready to keep going. I was a podcast payout winner. So for those of you who are not yet sold on the content we bring you, go back and listen to some of our previous episodes. It is rich, rich, rich material. And D2, I've already previewed our featured conversation for today. It's another good one, but it's not all we're going to do on this episode. No, it's not. So we've got some great stuff coming up here on this episode. We do have a segment, a new segment called A Couple of Questions with CEO of Brooks Running. So that's kind of like another peek behind the curtain that we'll be providing. And also, you guys are really lucky because we are, are, we've got a special announcement. You'll have to wait till the end of the episode, but our podcast list will be the first to hear this announcement. But also an added bonus because when you signed up, you're going to get a little bit of an additional um, bonus for signing up when we uh, tell you about this event. So all that and more when we come back from this short break. Running doesn't have to be hard and injuries don't have to be a part of your running experience. Learn how to run better through Big Peach Running Company's Transform Running Workshops. In this three-hour session, you'll learn three simple elements that not only improve your form, but also reduce the chances of injury, allowing you to run faster and make running more enjoyable. Sign up at BigPeachRunningCo.com and become the runner you've always thought you could be. Welcome back to the Run ATL podcast. As we said in our introduction, this was going to be an opportunity for all of our listeners to participate in what really is going to be just a fun conversation among friends. D2 and I have the extreme good fortune of having one of my good friends and somebody who I've had a chance to get to know through this industry. And for everyone, and I know there are a few of you out there who have said to me, and rightfully so, man, you have the best job on the planet. And it is true. And part of why that is the case is because of the people that D2 and I get to hang out with. And one of those persons for sure is Rod Foley. So he's here with us in studio and he has a tremendous amount of expertise and insight. And we're just going to have a conversation. Rod Foley, welcome to the Run ATL podcast, my friend. Thank you, Mike. Great to be here. Looking forward to it. Well, and and you know what? You and I first got to know each other when you were at Mizuno. You've been with a couple of brands that Big Peach Running Company proudly calls partners of ours on that manufacturer side. And instead of doing this like we oftentimes do in our introduction, we thought, you know what? With Rod being first a friend of ours, why don't we let him give us a little bit of a bio so everybody else can kind of listen in? And then you're doing some cool things right now. And just you and I getting connected as we might over a beer, as we might if we were running a couple of miles. Let's do it now. Tell me what you're up to. Great. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I've been, like like you mentioned, I've been in the running industry now for about 17 years. Came via the accounting world, as you'd expect. Right? Nice pivot. Miserable accountant becomes <laughs> running shoe guy. So uh, worked at Mizuno a long time. Got to know you guys here in Atlanta. It's been a, been a pleasure. I uh, worked a little bit at Under Armour up in Baltimore. And then recently I've decided to go on my own with a, a few uh, partners of mine. And we are, you know, what we've been jacked about, what we get excited about, what we loved at Mizuno was this idea of small brands with big ideas, ideas that people need to hear about and, and solutions to problems that people have. 
and really helping brands focus on doing just that and doing one thing or, or at least a few things and doing them really well as opposed to trying to play the game that everyone else is playing. And so that's what we do at 5AM Brands. We've had a few clients we've had some fun with helping them do that. And right now we're in the process of helping a, a brand launch essentially in the US. It's a big brand elsewhere. It's a pretty much a non-existent brand here in the US. And we're gonna help them do what I just said. We're gonna help them focus on being different and solving problems for people that no one else is solving. So we're excited, we're traveling, we're doing our thing, and uh, we hope to have some stuff in the marketplace in the next 18 months or so. Well, I've always known you to be a man who makes headlines, but I also, and one of the reasons I think that I have such an appreciation for you and why you and I have always hit it off so much is because you're also very entrepreneurial and very independent in your thinking and in the suggestions that you've made for Big Peach Running Company. Certainly that's made us better over the years. You've given me some personal pointers that I've taken to heart. I know it's been good for me to take, not those uh, just to heart, but also to deploy them in our organization. So having you here this evening is, is going to be really cool. And I think our listeners are going to be better for it. But we've got we've got a few questions that we've lined up for you. Are you ready? I am. I think you might have me miss... Uh... Might have me confused with someone else, but I'll, I'll, I'll <laughs> no take the compliments way. and yeah, let's do it. Absolutely. No way. Well, you know, we said in our in our intro that we were going to give everyone a revealing, even insightful look into the manufacturing, perhaps the marketing of what is our most popular product category at Big Peach Running Company. And, and what I would think most of those who live a pedestrian active lifestyle would say is their most important piece of equipment. And of course, that is their running shoes. And at a place like Big Peach Running Company, all of the shoes that we feature are, are truly technically capable models that will provide ample cushioning. And of course, we'll have various features intended for added uh, comfort, uh, performance each time they're worn. There's just a level of expectation, rightfully so, with the type of shoes that we're going to carry and ultimately suggest that our guests purchase. There are two scenarios that comprise the possibilities for the assortment that we have at Big Peach Running Company. One is that an existing model gets what you and I have referred to as an update. And then secondly, there's a brand new model perhaps that is authorized from maybe an existing partner of ours or someone who we're featuring for the first time. Let's start with that latter possibility. Every footwear model that currently exists or any of us who have a favorite shoe can recall the beginning of our relationship with that shoe somewhere at some point. And even though I recognize, Rod, that this is a broad and perhaps complex a question, how is a new model of running shoes most commonly incepted and ultimately created? Yeah, good question. Maybe the best way to start to answer that complex question is to talk about the team that's typically involved in birthing running shoes, uh, commonly referred to as the triad. Okay. So, as the name implies, three three folks, three distinct roles on the team. Are they individuals or are these different business units? These are actual individuals. These are truly individuals. Living, okay. people, yeah. So there's the one, there's a product line manager. There's secondly, a designer. And third, there's a developer. So again, each distinct role, the product line manager is really there to understand, diagnose, and explain the problem to be solved. So someone right now who's listening, they can think of their favorite running shoe of all time, or they can think about what they're wearing right now. And for that particular model, those three positions exist. Yes, in most companies. There are some companies where there might be two people doing yeoman's work and getting more done than, than three somewhere else, but essentially those three roles need to happen. So it's identifying the problem, the PLM. PLM then creates what's called a brief, gives it to the designer, and desire, designer takes a crack at creating a solution. And how might that brief read? What might it say when it goes from the product line manager to that designer, what are some of the things that are gonna be on that brief? Yeah, so again, it should start with my opinion, it should start with what is the problem to be solved? What, what can we uniquely bring to the running consumer, whether that's experience, whether that's feel, whether that's price, whether that's look? Whatever the, whatever the problem to be solved is, needs to be forefront as to what this, shoe, this product's gonna be all about. Um, but it could have design inspiration, it could have color inspiration, it could have technical specifications. It should have, quite honestly, target pricing. You know, what, 
what is a person going to be willing to pay for this experience that we're trying to create? So it's a full nuts and bolts roadmap to here's when we get together, we walk, we're going to get together, talk about this brief. We're going to walk away and do our jobs. It's always the, when there's a problem, when there's an issue to be solved, it's always going back and referring to the brief. Hey, we agreed to this brief. We had all hands in. This is what we're going after. Let's, let's use this as a roadmap to get to the finish line to make sure that we build the product that we intended to from the beginning. So D2 and I have probably 25 years worth of industry experience and across Big Peach Running Company, it's literally hundreds and hundreds of years of experience, but almost all of it's on the retail side. Yep. And what we found in talking with our guests is there's not a lot of understanding of this part of the equation. So using this consideration and now teasing out an example, what is it that that brief might say, or thinking back to briefs that you've seen being over all of these positions, how is it written? What does it say? Or what would you say? Wow, that is a brief that I can recall was really well written and that we wanted to move on and take to whatever the next step would be. Hmm. Good question, because I wrote a lot of them and I can't remember too many of them. So <laughs> maybe I didn't write many, many good Did briefs. you write any good ones? I've got, no, you did. I, I know some of the products that yeah. came out of that sharp mind of yours. Well, I think there's a, there's a, there's a very important point you're bringing, you're sussing out, is that the brief, in, in addition to being the impetus to starting the project, it needs to be a living, living, breathing thing. So, for example, the PLM, oftentimes, and almost exclusively in my experience, authors the brief. But what happens is it's a collaborative process where sitting down with the designer, sitting down with the developer, the person who's going to actually have to figure out how to make this thing, bringing in knowledge, limitations, expertise, makes that and flushes out that brief in a better and better way. So maybe someone, you know, the, the PLM wrote something about the, the thickness of the soul. And maybe the, the developer is going to come and say, hey, you know what, I can get, if you're trying to make it thicker because you want a certain amount of cushioning in there, well, guess what? I found this new material that I can do that without all that bulk. I can create a different experience with the same intended result. So it becomes a kind of a ping pong match between three people to get to a better place, again, based on what's the ultimate problem to be solved. So, so when a new model is released, it really is an answer. Whether it's correct or not, of course, is going to be decided by the marketplace. But it starts out as what should be an answer to something that is new or needed. And it's not just a repeat or a redress of something that already exists either in that portfolio from a brand or from all the competitors in the market. Well, that's the, that's the ideal, okay. honestly. The reality is that oftentimes briefs are, depending on the company, written to just address, hey, this competitor has this shoe out there. We need our version of that. Excellent. Do those, do those in my opinion, often win? In the end, no, because they're, why would I buy the second when I can buy the original from someone else? The, the briefs and the products, quite honestly, that stand out. Shoes, quite honestly, like you see from Hoka. Shoes like the Kinvara that I'm looking at a banner right now in your store when it first came out. Those were really different than what was already out there because someone was observing behavior. They were looking, they were listening to consumers of what they were missing, and they're really trying to hone in on what can we do differently that's going to bring a new experience. And those are the products that, that stand the test of time. But don't get me wrong, there are plenty of briefs that somebody wrote in five minutes just to, hey, I need a insert brand here version in our brand, which again, in my opinion, don't often end up in too much of a successful place. Sure. Well, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring out even those two models just to provide the retailer's perspective. Rod mentioned both the Convara, which is a shoe from Saucony now that has been out for multiple versions. At the onset, that was a lightweight trainer, but it had a very minimal differential between what the offset was in the heel and then what it was also in the forefoot had minimal materials in the upper and had this somewhat unique fit. So it was very different and became this signature shoe from Saucony at the time in Hoka. For those who are not familiar with Hoka in a time when everybody seemed to be reducing the amount of cushioning that was in the midsole, they came out with what we referred to at least initially as maximal amounts of cushioning, where you literally would set up higher on all the cushioning that had been incorporated into the midsole itself. And so I can only imagine what maybe the brief for those two particular models that are great examples might have read. So let's go to the other side, and that is an update. Yep. And I know that your history does not necessarily include Nike, so I'm going to pick on a shoe that right now has more versions behind it than anything else we carry, and that's the Air Zoom Pegasus. It's into its 30-something version with another one soon to follow. Yep. Around a long time. 
Yep. What might a brief or what might the three roles you mentioned earlier have to do for the next version of the AirZoom Pegasus to continue a legacy that's been as strong as it has? Well, the shoe like that oftentimes is just don't screw it up, right? Is, is the instructions <laughs> that three, that three-person team has been Simple given by somebody, right? Right. Um, again, to back up a little bit, the shoe creation process in most cases takes anywhere from eighteen to twenty months from inception ide, ideation, I should say, to in the marketplace. And shoes you're talking about, Nike, other brands typically bring out shoes in about every 12 months. Yep. So if you do the math, you're keeping track at home, you're starting a new shoe before the previous one has even been on the market. So with the idea that you know new shoes, new versions, new updates, to use the language we're talking about here, should be, in my opinion, addressing limitations or, or, or shortcomings of the previous version, right? Well, if you're bringing out a shoe, a new shoe before the previous one you're trying to fix is on the market, sometimes it can be a bit of intuition and you know blowing in the wind trying to find what is the problem to be solved because you don't know yet you don't have enough people that have worn the shoe so it's a tricky business um, quite honestly it is sometimes business driven you know the the, the 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 reason that the obvious question is well then why are they bringing out shoes so often right well because we live in a capitalistic society with a lot of competition and if we sit around and wait to find out what's wrong with our shoe a lot of other products are going to come out and get a lot of people's attention and it can be very difficult to be patient and sit and wait to uh, to make those updates so it's a tricky tricky business well and, and thinking about patience on one side of the fence and then on the other is just satisfaction and i think you know and you alluded to it earlier that one of the most common concerns that we hear on the floor of one of our stores is did they update my shoe and there's this hesitation before we answer and you can almost tell that they hope the answer is no, that they've fallen in love, right. but they know that that love is not necessarily going to last in the update. And they're hoping that there haven't been any changes. And yet to your point earlier, every 12 months or so, it's going to happen, but whether it's going to be as good or not remains to be seen. The most predictable question of the day, why is that done? Um. <laughs> It's 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 done to it's always done in my in my experience with the right intentions. It's done to make things better. I mean the the the, the extreme example I used to use was okay if they if, if companies didn't do that if I give let's let's call it the wave or I'm sorry the the, the Pegasus thirty four now it's out there if I put the Pegasus thirty four in front of you and the Pegasus one I'm guessing you'd probably pick the Pegasus thirty four because it's got thirty four. <laughs> changes and iterations and improvements that have happened over time. Again, sometimes those changes miss, but it's all done with the right spirit of trying to make the experience better, whether that's comfort, whether that's the performance of the shoe in motion, whether that's simply static fit. It's always done with, with trying to get better. And because everyone around us in terms of our competitors is doing the same thing and trying to improve, it's very, uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's just a, moment, a momentum and a desire to to continue to deliver better products to runners. I think that's really where it comes from. And But I also can appreciate as a runner, the question, I, I never heard it phrased the way you said it. I always heard it phrased, why did they ruin my shoe uh, from my side? But but that's I, I get that. That's that's a real uh, balance that brands try to strike. Well, and I think as, as we're being so transparent here, and of course you've got the ability to kind of show us how the, the sausage is made to some degree. One of the things that I'll, I'll say very, very, clearly is that Big Peach Running Company loves the fact from a business perspective that these changes do happen every 12 to 18 months because I think we are very uniquely qualified not only to tell our guests what the differences are from version 9 to version 10 or what they were in version 9 that has changed and may come out in version 11 because we were given a little bit of insight but doesn't exist in version 10 because we were told long before it was released that that was coming out or something new was going in, you're not going to get that everywhere else. And it helps us clarify our point of difference and why you would shop at Big Peach Running Company. In addition, as those changes occur, if someone feels like, and to use your phrase, Rod, we've ruined their shoe. We know what they like. It doesn't have the same amount of cushioning. It doesn't fit the same in the forefoot. I don't feel like I get the same response if I tend to land on my heel. Now we have so much knowledge about everything in our inventory. We can say, 
you're right, or I can appreciate that you feel that way, let me bring you out this model, even though it's maybe from a different brand that I think is gonna give you a similar feel or response or fit yep. to what you appreciated in that last version of the shoe that was your favorite. Right. So let's go in a slightly different direction here. And, 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 and when I say a different direction, instead of talking about modifications or updates or releases for shoes, let's talk about production. And you've been many, many places. I know mostly in Asia with so much of the production being done overseas as opposed to domestically. The reality is that a vast majority of athletic shoes, not just running, are currently made in places like China and Vietnam and Taiwan. This is one of those things that I think is not necessarily going to be clear to those of us who just hear political sound bites here and there about whether that type of production should come back to the US or whether as consumers, we should almost applaud the fact that it's done there unless we're willing to pay much, much more for what we're using to get and ensure that our best miles are indeed those covered on foot. So, so now that we have kind of set that as the platform, to what degree are there really savings currently associated with the, the present landscape of wages, maybe taxes, shipping, and other factors associated with the production of running shoes being housed primarily abroad? Yeah, I, I think every runner would benefit from going to a footwear factory once. I remember the first time I went, and it was, a, it was an amazing experience. And the, the, the overarching thought I had when I walked out was, I cannot believe running shoes are not $1,000 each. But the amount of people that touch each shoe, the amount of processes, uh, it's very, very manual and very specific and exacting of a process. And as we know, as we just segued from the last topic, one little stitch in the wrong place can take that person from loving their shoe to, ah, With all it. those people who have right. touched it, with all those economics that have gone into it. Right. So with the way shoes have been made over the last 40 years, we'll extract out the knitting and some of the other things we'll talk about in a minute, some of the new processes. But the, the, most of the running shoes you see in the world, they're very labor intensive. There's a lot of manual processes that go on with each and every one of those. So labor is the biggest reason, quite honestly, why shoes make more sense still to be made elsewhere. It just simply, I don't think we can find enough people in this country, which again, I think is a good thing to make shoes at a price that people are accustomed to. So it doesn't sound like you see the day coming anytime soon where a majority or perhaps even a represented percentage of shoes will carry the made in the USA tag. I, not as they're currently constructed. I do think the things we're seeing with Nike, with Knit, with Adidas, with all of what they're doing, um, 3D printing, I think there are enough signs on the, on the roadway, if you will, to point towards a day where you will see a good deal of shoes made here. I don't think they'll be made by people so much, but they, the, the day is coming where we, where we can automate a lot of these processes and have more shoes made in the USA, for sure. People know I love to do this. D2 hates every time I do. I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you to provide an example. All right. Think about a shoe that you loved and then was updated and you didn't love it. Maybe you didn't hate it. Maybe you wouldn't have been the one that said they ruined it. But go ahead and give us that shoe. It's okay. No brand is safe here. Nothing is sacred. What is the shoe that you loved that then all of a sudden, even in a new version, the love went away and you had to find something else? Um, so for me, you know, I'm an uh, Adidas fan, and I fell in love with the Energy Boost when it originally came out, you know, about three, four years ago. And that was by far one of my favorite shoes. The original version. The original version. Uh, loved it. Had two pairs of them and ran, you know, a year in them. And then version two came out, and they changed the upper, and all of a sudden just didn't quite feel like the previous shoe. I understood the reasons why they were doing it because they wanted to accommodate, you know, more feet and it was kind of tight in, in version one, but, you know, and I, and I still had, you know, version one that I ended up running and kind of skipped version two. Then they came to version three and it felt more like version one. And now we're on version four and, you know, it, it's changed. It's, it's, it's a wider base. It's a, a little bit more cushy. It's not as responsive, but at the same time, I remember, you know, when I got version one going, 
oh, if it had just a little bit more cushioning, it'd be perfect. And now I have it and I'm kind of like disappointed because it's not the same thing. And it's not, I, I still love that shoe. I run in that shoe, it's, but it's, it's part of me still is nostalgic for that. So uh, let's I would love to get a version let's, one. Let's go with the original. <laughs> Obviously, you're familiar with the Energy Boost and yep. the midsole technology that was introduced yep. through that Boost material. Let's yep. go with D2's favorite shoe, perhaps, of all time, the original version of the Energy Boost. Yep. What now happens when a multitude of persons feel the exact same way about version two that Dave does, and they move away from that? What is the sense at the manufacturer maybe even at the factory, as the feedback starts to roll in. I know it's a, oh no, but I mean, do we have people who are literally likely to lose their job in that triumvirate that you talked about earlier? Are there people looking for high places from which to jump? If a lot of people feel the exact same way after 60 days of the new version being in the market that Dave did, that it's not the same, or to your point earlier, it's been ruined, what's the sentiment in and around the office at that point? Uh, so been in this a long time. I had more than my share of those, being the guy that did to Dave what someone else did to Dave. In this <laughs> um, I probably took it way too personal, but it was it was it's dark times because it's a long process, right? Like so, something gets on the marketplace and you know, oh, I, I, I want to fix that, but it takes time to fix. And so, yes, there is oftentimes. You said sometimes eighteen to twenty-four months yeah, that were yeah. Until you get, until you can have that satisfaction of delivering what Dave wants, but only not only what Dave wants, but better than Dave wants. Um, so yeah, it, it can be tough. I, I have been had the good fortune of not working anywhere that fired people over those things. I imagine that's probably happened in, in this world. But um, it, it's it's a very complex uh, solution trying to build shoes and trying to get everybody what they want and also move things forward at the same time. So uh, it happens more than we know, but. It's, uh, again, when we think about automation and we think about some of the things coming down the pike, maybe we can fix things quicker in the future. But, but yeah, it's an agonizing feeling to know that you've disappointed even one runner, quite honestly. Well, and, and if we go back to production and we recognize how far away from the pipeline Dave is when he tries on that original version and loves it, yeah. or that follow-up version that he's like, it just doesn't fit the same, I gotta find something else. Let's think about those factories and the fact that you have been in them. And let's take Dave's sentiments out of it for a second. What's it like in those factories? What are the conditions? What is fact versus fiction? And I know you can only speak to the factories that you've been sure. to. You already said every runner should visit one yep. at some point. Very, very, very few runners will ever have that opportunity. Right. So take us there. Yeah, I mean, over the first... First thing I noticed was how clean everything is. Uh, you know, floors, desks, machines, everything. Everything's, uh, there's a station for every process, as I mentioned. This person cuts this little piece that goes on the side of the shoe and this person stitches the tongue and, and it's, it's station after station of processes that all come together in some unforeseen magic because you, it's not sequential. It's all kind of happening. Around, these, around each other, and there's people that know how to uh, optimize that. Um, the, there are no, I've never seen, seen a child in a factory. Uh, despite, let's put that the, out there. The despite the what has been reported. Song, yeah. um, it is an interesting dynamic. It's, again, culturally, it's different. A lot of the people that work in factories tend to be a little bit younger, you know, high school to college age, certainly legal working age here in the U.S., but they also live on campus. There's a whole campus. It's a factory, it's a, it's housing and it's a school as well. So it's, it's kind of where they live and live their lives and, and they move into these cities and they become part of this community uh, that's more than just a job, which so, is kind of a cool thing. I love that term community and I think we talk about that all the time when we live out a pedestrian active lifestyle and we have social runs. Certainly you could say there's a community at every single start line before a local race. Is it a community the way we think about a community? You call it a campus? to start with, then you threaded in the term community. A campus makes me think of a bunch of people who have a common pursuit, but a community makes me think we're all kind of helping each other and we're all wanting to be in the same place at the same time. Is it a bit of a blender or is it truly a community the way we might think about it 
as Americans or even runners and walkers who have the good fortune of showing up and doing the same thing our friends are doing at the same time. Yeah, I, I don't think I have uh, enough gumption to say that it's the same kind of community <laughs> that we're used to, uh, having not ever worked there uh, as a young person. So uh, I'm sure it's a, it's a blend. It's somewhere on that spectrum. Um, but it, again, my bias going in was that it was people that were you know, not really wanting to be there at all and not being supported and not really having a, a fair shot at things where I think it's not it's not that dire of a situation that I think some some of us have heard from different news stories or, or different uh, sources of information. So um, I think it's it's uh, again, it's a better uh, situation than that than I certainly ever thought it was based on what I heard before going over there. So. Well, and, and I've only been to factories here in the United States. I don't know how many different brands that, that we feature have factories here in the United States. New Balance does, yep. certainly, because those are the ones that I have toured. And I, too, was blown away by how many people touched the product before it ended up perhaps on a truck or in a box to get shipped. Yep. Everything from laces to stitches to the paper that's inside the box to the stuffing that goes inside the shoe. There's so many roles that are critically important for the consumer to be able to open that box for the first time and just go, this this could be it. Knowing that there's not maybe going to be this near-term made in the USA or that that type of approach is going to just cut across all of the brands and it's going to change dramatically. For those instances where production is here in the United States, what do you think some of the biggest differences will be for that domestic production compared to what you've seen and been part of overseas? Yeah, I mean, the, the most obvious will be the number of people involved. Much fewer? Much fewer. I mean, it's and that's the more, automation you spoke of. That's earlier. the automation. Whether again, whether it's knitting machines, whether it's three D printing machines, or some of the stuff that Adidas is working on, the FutureCraft. I don't know if you've, you're, some of your uh, your guests have heard about I that. Am, and, and maybe you can keep me honest here. I'm gonna at the at the very obvious risk of spewing misinformation. Adidas at this point is building a factory in Cherokee County, I believe, here in the state of Georgia. Correct. It is what they're referring to as a speed factory, which I think is going to be heavily automated. Correct. But still is part of why everyone wanted them to put that in their backyard. They said they were going to bring new jobs to the economy. Mm -hmm. If that would have been overseas, how many jobs would a factory bring to the community or to that area? And do you know much about this product that Adidas is going to have built there? or quite frankly, the undertaking that Adidas is doing that I certainly don't have just any real insight on. How many jobs would be... Uh, and a fact, if we were talking about just making a couple of models, yep. and it was a new factory or it was a new contract for an existing factory, how many net people would perhaps be involved in the manufacturing of a model or two for both genders? In the U.S.? In the U.S., or let's start overseas. Overseas, it would be hundreds. 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 For just a couple of models, sure. both genders. Sure. That's amazing, and I right. think would be a huge surprise. To your point, it blew your mind the first time. Yeah. I can see how it would blow anyone's mind. So just to reiterate, a couple hundred people involved in the production of a couple of models. So let's use your background at Mizuno, the Wave Rider and the Wave Inspire, two flagship models for that brand, hundreds of people involved oh, yeah. at the factory in those two models. Yep, yep. So what do you know about this Speed Factory initiative, Adidas, and, and what do you think it will do, whether it's for Cherokee County or the state of Georgia, or quite frankly, the running industry by having that type of production here in the U.S.? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's incredible. I think it's, it's really exciting for being someone who loves Atlanta and, and, and loves being in footwear. There isn't a lot of energy from a manufacturing side in this city yet. Uh, this is a start of something pretty cool, uh, which, which I'm excited about. It's not all new studios coming to Atlanta. There are some other things. Right, right, right. right, right. Despite my neighborhood is filled with a bunch of ADs. But um, yeah, the, the types of jobs obviously are very different. You know, Speed Factory is going to be looking at people at Georgia Tech, you know, engineering uh, masterminds. They're going to help them figure out how to make a 3D product you know, without a whole lot of people touching it, which is a tricky proposition. So the types of jobs will be quite a bit different. Um, I, their intended purpose, from what I understand, is a lot about um, speed to market. So localization of taste, you know, what, what do people in the Southeast maybe want from their footwear that is maybe different than other parts of the country? That could be color, that could be material, that could be style, could be several things. Um, but it's also gonna cut down on all the lead times. You know, one of the big detriments of having shoes made in Asia is those shoes sit on the boat for 40 days. 
to get across the get across the world. Wow. And that's that's money spent, that's time not in, in consumers' hands. That's part of the reason why it takes 18 to 24 months. So all that stuff can be shortened dramatically. One, by getting rid of a lot of the labor and doing it with machines, but then having it here in the market where it's what's, you know, going to be consumed by the runner or the, the athlete, um, that's, a big, that's a big change. And I do think it's a proof of concept for them that I'm, if I'm a betting man, there will be speed factories in other major metropolises over the next five to ten years. From Adidas or from other brands, from every brand will start to maybe take that approach. Well, for Adidas, certainly, I do think, I mean, I know of some brands, you know, I, I mentioned Under Armour, certainly has some initiatives around shortening lead times and doing local for local production. I have to imagine Nike's working on some things as well. So, no, I do think it's a, it's a, it's the start of a bigger movement for sure. Well, and, and for all of you Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets over by our Midtown store, and for those of you who perhaps have not been exposed to this story previously, D2 and I will put a link to at least one news report. Rod, we don't pretend on the Run ATL podcast to be news journalists in the same way that some might espouse, but we will certainly put a link to that story. For those of you who want to learn more, check out the show notes. Rod, before we let you go. I want you, and I recognize that your crystal ball may not be any clearer than some, but you have so much more experience than the rest of us. Even in our short time, when I say our short time, Big Peach Running Company has been around for over a dozen years now. And quite frankly, if we look at retailers who are selling running or athletic shoes from California to Connecticut, that's not a particularly long time. There are retailers with much, much, much more history than what we have. But even in our relatively short period of time, we've seen a lot. I mean, we've seen midsoles that house technology that'll pair with a smartphone. We talked earlier about maximal cushioning. We lived and survived even what was ultimately a legal challenge to barefoot running and what was the Vibram product. Certainly, we've seen alliances gore with weather resistance for shoes, Continental Tire, is currently involved with one of our manufacturer partners for added traction on the outsole. More recently, BASF with an energy return material for the midsole. We've seen a lot in a relatively short period of time. So trying to get out and dust off perhaps your crystal ball. Yep. What are some of the things that you think we should all should stay tuned for because it's coming in the world of running footwear in the near or midterm? Yeah, we certainly talked about a few of the things that are, that are going to deliver some exciting things for people. You know, the, the idea of automation, which will allow us, and the idea, I'm sorry, the idea of localization as well, which will allow those timelines to compress, which will allow brands to make shoes in a much quicker way and really address problems from the start, solving problems from the start, whether that's an update or whether that's a brand new shoe, and really honing in on perfecting the form, if you will. Uh, so... I think you're going to see better and better product. That's kind of a lame answer, but I'm going to, I think it's a real answer. So better, better, better product, not just from an engineering standpoint, but from a fit standpoint? Or when you say from better, it, yes. help me understand better. Yeah, fit, engineering, ride. Again, being able to really listen to consumers' problems and, and wants and needs and deliver them in a timely basis without having to guess at what those are because the timelines are so long, the development timelines are so long. So really being able to hone in on solving the problems that people have in all facets um, of, of their running shoe experience. Um, I do think there's, a, there's been a great movement so far, and I think it will continue in terms of uh, you know, the, the footprint that the, the running industry leaves, uh, if, to borrow a pun. Uh, you know, it's no secret, running shoes are not the most friendly thing to the environment historically. There's lots of plastic, there's a decent amount of waste, cutting, and excess material. Again, things like knitting have cut down on that. Things like 3D printing will cut down on that. There's a lot of you know, there's a lot of shoes that are made that no one ever needed, right? Because we we buy we buy shoes as manufacturers months and months ahead of time, guessing what the demand will be. Well, in the future, with all these innovations in terms of what I just mentioned, the the automation and 3D printing and those kind of things, there's going to be much less extra stuff needing to be made, and only will make what people actually want, which I think is a really cool place to be because there'll be less stuff that ends up you know, landfills and, and elsewhere. So I think some of those things you're going to see are going to be kind of behind the scenes, but they're all going to be really good for, the th I, I think, the things runners care a lot about, um, which is the environment, which is the, sure. leaving the place better than we, than we inherited it type thing. So I think that's going to happen. I do think 
one of the bigger bigger things that I've got my eye on is this idea of you know consumers are more getting more and more demanding and, and, and specifically around the idea of, of having less things sometimes in their life, having things that do more for them. So versatility of the things that they, you know, we hear a lot about millennials want to spend more money on experiences than they do on products. And I know you guys have invested in some really cool experiences over the last year, 18 months, which I think is fantastic. But even within their product, building more built-in versatility, whether that means from an aesthetic standpoint, whether that means from a functional standpoint, I do think we're going to see brands bring out products that have more inherent versatility, which I think is going to be a really cool thing, and it's going to lead us in some really cool directions. So this is this isn't something that's easy for me to do, but I'm going to take off my Big Peach running company hat for a second. I'm going to ask you two questions. You can answer them quickly or really, really slowly. It's up to you. You're a friend of mine. You take as much time as you want. Okay. First of all, the somewhat age-old advice that running shoes are going to give you, depending on your body type and your landing tendencies and your surface intentions, 300 to 500 miles worth of wear. Do you see that warranty, so to speak, changing much anytime in the near future? I think the possibility exists that it could get much better. Again, there's a tension, right? From a, from a brand standpoint, if shoes last forever, then people don't need to buy another shoe. So there is a little bit of tension there and, and tastes change and people want something new. But I, yes, I do think with some of the new materials that are going to be developed, that are currently being developed, um, some of the you know things you've seen from whether it be New Balance or Under Armour or um, again Adidas in terms of the 3D printing, some of this lattice kind of midsole. Once that gets perfected, those promise a lot more durability. And what I love about them is that it's a consistency that's going to be delivered. That the shoe will feel as almost like it was new for longer. Okay. Right? So the degradation will happen much later, uh, which I think is a really promising thing to, to runners because you get that new shoe feel that first time you put it on, you get that first run, and it's, it's kind of like Dave's story. You're always chasing that feel every run after that, even within that shoe that you bought. So I think some the shoes in the future will have that feeling much longer. Well, and you mentioned the durability, and really there are two considerations. There's that right out of the box, that what we refer to in a step-in feel, where it's just so sweet, yep. and you want that for so long, and it doesn't exist forever. And then there's just the protection, where we recognize mm -hmm. there is a thing as we all know, called impact, yep. shock attenuation, these things that can be very damaging if you don't have some kind of protective material in between the surface you land on and the body you want to protect. So it's durability for protection's sake, not just the feeling of, wow, it's like the first time I stepped into it. Yep. And it sounds like both will eventually improve perhaps. The second so. thing is, and this was really, really interesting for me, when we first opened in 2004, most of the flagship models were $79.99 suggested retail, right at around $80. Mm. And for the first five, maybe even six years, there were no price increases. It was $80 for a long time. Now here we are, the most common price point is at $120. Right. And over the last five years, it's been much more frequent and for whatever reason, and this is something that we could talk about on a different episode and we'll have you back and we can get into the nitty gritty. I don't know why it's always a five or $10 price increase. There's so many other product categories out there that they go up by 30 cents or they go up by a certain percentage that would have been a $2 and 15 cent increase. But it always goes from, you know, 114.99 to 119.99. There's no stop at 116.49. Nope. There's no stop before you get to that five or $10 increment. But what about pricing? What do you see happening to pricing? Because quite frankly, the increases, and for me as a retailer, for me as a proprietor of a bunch of running stores, my margin has stayed largely the same. Yeah. Whether we were charging $80 like we were 12 years ago, or $120 like we are in so many models right now, our margin is the same. What do you think consumers can kind of expect for that technically capable running shoe in the near future relative to price increases or perhaps maybe a return of some stabilization in the pricing? Uh, wow, that's a good question. And I don't know. I want to put you on the spot. I, I want to do this to a stranger, but you don't have that good fortune. I don't know if you're going to love my answer or not, but um, I, I tend to think there's a couple couple things going on. Um, I, I do think there are the barriers for entry for competitors. They're still they're still kind of steep. There's a, It's an it's a investment-heavy business to get into to make oh, shoes. I can only imagine. But it's getting... There's a, there's a light at the end of the tunnel that it's going to get, I think you're going to see more small brands being able to pop up more so than you could in the past. So there'll be some healthy competition to, to the incumbents, which will help, I believe, drive 
price down somewhat, although it hasn't ever worked in healthcare. But anyway, that's another topic. Um, <laughs> like I said, we have to have you back. We'll right. get into that as well. Right. I can only imagine the listenership for that episode. Um, but uh, sorry, I lost my train of thought for a second. Um, in terms of the, the other big, the other big kind of factor in all this. One of the things that I take away from the whole, you mentioned the, the Vibram and the barefoot movement, the minimal movement. The long lasting effect for me from that is a realization from a lot of people that maybe some of the stuff we used to put in our shoes isn't always necessary for maybe as many people, right? Still some people that find the, the, all the support devices and the, and, the, and the wider base shoes, all that stuff is important to them. But, but I think it maybe opened up the aperture a little bit on Maybe more people can get away with their kind of their natural body movement in terms of their shoes, yeah? Um, which may end up with us seeing more and more simply built shoes, perhaps. We're seeing simply built on the uppers with a one-piece knit type thing. It's not simple to do, but it's a simple, there's not a lot of pieces and parts. Now, what doesn't seem to be happening is there's no reduction in prices. My belief is, especially as that knitting technology on the upper comes along and there are more places to do it and there are more people who are doing it and more models that have it, it should decompress the price to some degree, but instead it either stays stagnant or it still goes up. I've yet to have a model that has consistently gone back five dollars every two or three years yeah. every once in a while a model that misses on an update i know let's take dave's story where it hit on version one maybe it hit on versions one two and three fell apart on version four was maybe somewhat minimally better on version five and now on version six to get all the share back they're like we're going to take a ten dollar price reduction but it's not because they're saving money it's because they need to go in and get more people to try the product yeah. will it be products that eventually is like there's a simpler methodology to making it there are less materials in it so we can afford to charge 105 dollars on a shoe that yes three years ago was 120. i think we've seen it in enough industries whether you use warby parker and glasses um, there's all sorts of luggage companies that i've been following that are doing similar things um, I, I do believe the opportunity exists if, if com competitors can get in and you know it, partly um, it, it depends on on innovation to be able to do that but i do think if someone could come in and shake things up a bit, I do think we can start seeing brands entering and, and almost topping out closer to $100. I think that's possible. No promises, but sure. I think that could be uh, could be in the future, yeah. Well, and that could be good news for all. Rod, you are a good friend, not just to Dave and to me and to Big Peach Running Company, but certainly to the community of runners and walkers for being able to give us some insight in an area, quite frankly, there is very little knowledge for the most part. So thank you for your time here. For those who do not know, D2 and I are on the road for this episode. We are in Decatur. The sun went down hours ago. Do you have time to join us for a beer, my friend? I've never said no. In that case, D2, it's time to go to a break and to go get a beer. Sounds good. You've got the right shoe for you, but maybe you're still getting blisters and your feet aren't too happy. The source of your discomfort may be the socks you're wearing. Cotton is rotten. You need socks made from synthetic materials that wick away the moisture that can lead to blisters. Big Peach Running Company carries a variety of styles and brands, including Features, Balega, Swiftwick, and Njinji. Every sock is buy three, get one free. Mix and match brands and styles, it doesn't matter. You'll save 25% when you pick up four pairs of socks. Keep your feet happy and stock up on socks at Big Peach Running Company. And welcome back to the Run ATL podcast. This is a segment that we call a couple of questions. It gives us an opportunity to catch up with people who we admire and enjoy. And today I am with the CEO of Brooks Sports. I'm in Seattle, Washington with Jim Weber. And this is an absolute pleasure for me, Jim. And we are going to talk about a couple of questions that I think you're going to almost be able to tell us things that we don't know, but things you know so well. So first of all, question number one for you. I'm ready. A lot of people would not necessarily guess Brook Sports, almost for three years now, has been the number one footwear brand at Big Peach Running Company. And then those people who have been fit in our stores, people who have followed you, people who know your product, would say, of course, that's the case. I am one of those people who are already an avid fan of what Brooks is doing. 
you've been there over 15 years. You're not surprised by the fact that you're number one. How is it that that is the case and why do you believe that will continue to be the case? Well, thank you for having me. And, and here's the, the straightforward answer on it. This brand at Brooks is a more than 100 years old, maybe 103 years old this year. But about 17 years ago, we decided to focus only on runners. And we got rid of basketball and football and baseball included. And we just focused on performance running because we thought the lifestyle deserved that focus. So the, one of the reasons we've been successful is because we wake up every day and we try to make the absolute best gear in the world for runners from head to toe. And not only in terms of performance and what runners need, but just the experiences they create and how they make you feel and comfort, comfort, comfort. So because we wake up every day and all we think about is runners, we've attracted a lot of employees that love this lifestyle. <laughs> that and, is so true. And so it's, it's, we feel like the luckiest people in the world because yes, we have jobs and we're in a business and we're trying to do that really well. But um, we get to help runners have a better run, and, and that just, that's just a wonderful thing to be a part of. Well, it is, and, and both of us have the, just the, the, the absolute satisfaction of being able to do that every day, although on, on different sides with you and your team developing the product and bringing it to market. Those of us in our store, certainly at Big Peach Running Company, having the chance to present this product to our guests in a manner that suggests this might be what makes them look forward every single day to lacing up and going out and doing something we believe in so much. So what I'm gonna do, and I've not hidden my personal affinity for something that you guys have espoused for quite some time now, and that is to run happy. Mm -hmm. It's a platform that you guys created, and in my opinion, really set yourself apart from a lot of the other brands that we carry. And of course, I've got a tremendous amount of respect for all of the brands that we're, we're really proud to have on our shelves and in our stock room and that we present to our guests. But Run Happy is just something that is so cool because it says that running, whether you found it to be fun from the first moment you did it, or whether it's something that you kind of gravitate to slowly and now it's part of who you are, is just a suggestion that it can be a happy moment, a happy activity, a happy lifestyle for us. But instead of letting me give you my perspective on Run Happy and why I like it so much, you're the CEO, you're the one who gets to own and ultimately navigate what Run Happy means to so many others. So to you, what is Run Happy? You know, I think what the wonderful thing about running is that, um, it transcends competitive sport. And almost most people have had some competitive sport experience. Maybe it was Little League Baseball or hockey or running or whatever. But we, so many of us, you know, had an athletic experience and we transcended that, right? We became uh, people in the real world with families and jobs and everything else. So then we make choices. And running is different from any other sport because it's available to everyone. And so, and that's, that's my story. I was a hockey player and I was also a runner, but when I quit playing competitive sport, I was really a runner and I've been running for 35 years and the truth is I need it and I love it and it feeds me every week. So run happy as, as I came into Brooks, it was like, of course, because what it is, it's really celebrating your run. Running is so personal. It's a deliberate choice. And we all do it because it has something positive for us. It actually helps make us happy. And so Run Happy basically celebrates the power of the run in your life in, in today and what it does for you today because every day is better if you get a run in. You, always, you just have a better day. And so Run Happy is, is got a lot of different faces, but it's basically celebrating um, what the run does for you. He is Jim Weber, the CEO of Brooks Sports and indeed the number one brand for Big Peach Running Company with hard work that he and his team have done for quite some time. Run Happy, the platform that we know so well and that he's just given us indication as to what it means. Jim, thank you so very much for spending a little bit of time with us. You are always worth taking a couple of questions and I know that there will be people who will learn a couple of things and wish that it wasn't called a couple of questions, but that it was called a dozen questions and that's what we'll do next time. So Fantastic. thanks again for being part of this. Well, um, run happy Atlanta. Um, <laughs> I hope to get a few miles in with you soon. Take care.
That sounds great. Run Happy Atlanta. There it is. As we always say, may your best miles be those covered on foot. All right, that was awesome. And it looks like, it looks like I may be out of job. You did an awesome job without me being there recording the segment. Well, I would have wished you would have been out there. It was fun, and Jim was a true pro and easy to work with. So now we move on to our special announcement, Big Peach Spring Break. Tell us about it. Big Peach Spring Break 2018, the weekend of April 20th. We talked about the tortoise and hare race at the onset of this program in Blue Ridge, Georgia. Now people who aspire to that type of race have already done that type of race or have zero interest in that type of distance but just want to spend a weekend in beautiful Blue Ridge, Georgia on the wonderful trails in and around Blue Ridge just covering a few miles and doing some hiking. This is for all of those people. It is going to be a weekend. The accommodations are luxurious. The guiding services to ensure everybody sees the best of the best and never gets lost, those guiding services are world-class. And then the food and the other amenities, almost too good to believe. And we also have a special offer for our podcast listeners, exclusive to them. If you get to bigpeachrunningco.com and then do forward slash spring dash break, you'll find all of the information, including what the package consists of. It also consists of a Big Peach Running Company gift card to be sure everybody has all the gear they'll need for the weekend. Everybody gets $50 D2 when they register, but podcast listeners alone get 75. Just like that, we're adding $25, another 33% in value to that gift card for being a Run ATL podcast listener. Super cool. Yes, that's right. So when you go online and you register, you're going to be con- contacted by our Adventure and Accommodations Advisor. When you get contacted, mention that you heard this offer on the, Peach, on the um, Run ATL podcast, and that way you'll get the additional $25 on your Big Peach gift card. Awesome. Again, that address, bigpeachrunningco.com forward slash spring dash break D2. That will do it for us. This episode, I will see you again in just two weeks, my friend. And for everyone, may your best miles be those covered on foot. <laughs>